0: How's everybody doing today? Everybody doing well? That's right. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for being here today. I'm so excited to share with you today. And honestly, one of the things I'm most excited about is that it's a family service Sunday. Uh, Because I know uh, when we all get to encounter the presence of God together as families, and when I say families, I don't just mean your individual unit, I mean... If you are a spiritual aunt and uncle, or a spiritual grandmother, grandfather, or uh, whatever that may be, just know that for, for us, when we look, when I look around, I don't see just my own family, I see the family of God, right? And so I just wanna encourage you guys that that, Uh, Is one of the reasons why we do this and have kids in the service. This is how I grew up, folks, too. So be thankful. (laughs) We also do provide kids ministry. We used to have, we used to, well, growing up, it was always every Sunday I was in church with with my mom and my brothers, and we would go to church all together and then go to kids church. So just to encourage you, part of this, even in this setting, is just so that they can hear the word of God as well and also worship together. Amen? Amen. So all right. I'm gonna go ahead and jump in. So we are in a series called Make Us One. And that's not just a series, that's also our vision for the next years. Is, is our prayers, that God would you make us one. And that comes out of John 17, uh, verses 20 and 21, where it says, my prayer, this is Jesus talking, and he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So we wanna be one, we wanna be one with God, one with one another in community and so that the world may know who Jesus is. That's our heart today and in this series. But why are we in the book of Ephesians? Why are we doing this in Ephesians? Well, Ephesians almost more than any other book is like a blueprint for how to walk in unity in the church, for what it looks like to do relationships among people. Uh, and for the past two weeks, our lead pastor, Joe Polino, he's been leading us kind of in the background of Ephesians. He's been giving us all the lead up to what did it look like with, when the church in Ephesus was planted, to what happened there after it was planted, kind of what's the background story, and what did it look like culturally in Ephesus as well. Um, and if you remember, based on what we read, Joe pointed out a few things. He pointed out Uh, two weeks ago that one of the things that the church in Ephesus was marked by was hunger for God, right? Humility to receive and Holy Spirit power. Hunger for God, humility to receive and Holy Spirit power. And then last week he talked about the Ephesian church growing and spreading through miracles, through deliverance and through communal repentance, uh, which is just awesome to see that. So we've seen how the church has grown and has spread um, but an emphasis that's in my heart for today uh, is this. Well, I'm going to start out. So here, here we go today, y'all. I have an outline that is about seven pages long, which is my shortest outline to date. So be <laughs> proud of me. Be proud of me. I know this is a family service. It's not lost on me. Uh, but I also want to speak the word of the Lord and what he's gonna do. So I'm gonna go by my notes as best I can. And for the rest of the time, I'm gonna let just the Spirit speak, I think, as he prompts my heart. And so I just felt prompted as I was talking. So an emphasis for today is is this. We're talking about make us one, bring unity, Lord. I want everyone to lean in for just a moment. God is on board with that message. Did you hear that? God is on board with unity. Why is he on board with unity? He wants Jesus to be made known, right? And what Paul is doing here in this passage, I sense a fresh invitation from the Lord for this morning that he wants to do a work of identity. So Paul's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. Oh, I'm getting off my nose. It's okay. Paul's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus it's a brand new church plant. If you remember from what Joe was talking about just a few weeks ago, Ephesus was like a New York City or like a Seattle. It was this cultural hub filled with all sorts of debauchery, even worse than maybe what you might picture in Seattle or in a New York City or in a large city like that. All sorts of uh, things that I can't go into right now because it's a family service and that's okay. But even within the temple of Artemis, this temple that was there in the city, it was literally, they had, they had temple prostitutes that would go and do their work there. And I don't need to say much more. They, they didn't have family-friendly services at the Temple of Artemis, right, in Ephesus. It was a city filled with people that were not just sinful like everyone is, but they were tied up in idolatry in every way. And so Paul is writing this letter to them. And it's not even, it's, not, it's like six to 10 years after Paul has planted this church in Ephesus. And he's writing to them, encouraging them in who they are. And that's what we're going to get into today. And I, I feel like there's a way that we're gonna do that. And it's basically, we're just gonna follow the text this morning because I think God has something for us in just what, in the simple things that Paul says, even in the beginning opening greeting, that God wants to do a work in our hearts this morning. So... Um, This is no secret, but most of us in the room, I would venture to say, at least if you're of my generation, most of us in the room have some sort of father wound or we have a father that didn't do it right, that got it wrong in many ways, right? Not always, we have some. I know there's some good fathers and I know there have been, but for so many of us, a lot of them got it wrong or they maybe got it wrong and they didn't repent. They weren't walking with God. So there was no apology or there was no forgiveness. There was no reconciling. Or perhaps you didn't even have a father who is present. And for us, I recognize so much of hearing about God the father today that we're going to talk about is tied up to our earthly relationship with our father. And I just want to say to you, God wants to do away with anything that's not of him today in your heart. Anything that's a remnant or that's a way that you view God based upon who or or how your earthly father treated you, God wants to do away with it. He wants to keep the good things and let that be an example to you, a physical, tangible example. And he wants to take the things that weren't of God and he wants to put them away and he wants to come in instead and he wants to be your heavenly father today. That's God's heart for you. And I can say that confidently today because that's what he's done for me. And I don't say that I don't say that in in boasting. I say that in in genuine, just overwhelming overflow of thankfulness to God for what he's done in my heart and in my mind and my life, that I don't operate out of those wounds anymore, that instead I operate from a place of confidence and a place of security in him. Does that make sense? Do I always do that? No, do I have to fight for that? Absolutely. You better believe it. Even leading up to this sermon, I felt attacked this weekend just in my own own confidence and in my own, hey, Donnie, you don't have what it takes. You don't even know what you're talking about. You're God, the Father. You're talking about the Father. You didn't even have a all these feelings in my heart that came up, like really? And in the midst of that, I had to say, no, Lord Jesus, what is the word that you have spoken over me? And that's a greater word. And that's what we're about to get into. So, God the Father, in this passage, he's revealed his heart for us in three ways. Now we're we're about to read the passage. In order that we might move toward union with God. God doesn't want union with you because that's like what he says in the Bible or this is is just the plan. He wants union with you. He wants you to be unified with him because he loves you. Because he wants to be with his children. So I'm gonna read Ephesians 1, verses one through six. That's our text today. It's pretty short. And then I'm just going to take it almost line by line. And I'll have some points to draw out as we go. So Ephesians 1, 1 through 6. I, or sorry, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. All right, so just some light topics today. We're going to address predestination. Uh, We're going to address adoption to sonship. Uh, That does include biblical language women, but ladies, I'm sorry, get over it. It's not offensive to you. Part of this is this is biblical language, and it's meant to communicate to a group of people uh, about basically the, the air situation, the sonship, what sonship meant back in the Bible. So we've got that issue. You know, so there's, there's so many things that this passage in the history of the church has been divisive at times. And I, I think I felt the weight coming into this today because we're talking about unity. And I thought about, man, there's so many opinions. And like Different denominations exist because of this passage and other passages talking about predestination versus the will of God versus free will. All these different things. So, it's, so I just want to say at the outset, I'm so glad to avoid all those controversies by speaking about the love of God today. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. We are going to deal with those. We're not going to skirt the issue. We're not going to skirt these issues. But genuinely, I think for far too long, this passage has been something that's divisive rather than something that's meant to deeply encourage you more than you've ever been encouraged. That's what I believe. So we're going to go with that. So first up, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. If you can bring up the next slide, it has some of them highlighted. There you go. By the will of God, that first phrase. Uh, who, Who knows between the writing of Ephesians and when Paul was converted? Who knows how many years have elapsed? Any Bible trivia nerds in the room? I had to look it up. I didn't know. 26 years from the time that Paul was converted at the time he's writing this in prison in Rome is 26 years. Now, if who, what Paul was doing before this, his name was actually Saul and he was hunting down Christians, believers for their faith and persecuting them. Sometimes in the case of Stephen, uh, who, who was martyred, he was holding their coats saying, I'll watch after your jacket while you stone him that Paul's mission was to eradicate Christianity. He was a Pharisee, a religious zealot, so to speak. Man, that they, they followed the law, it was all about performance. This is who Paul was. And then if you remember, Paul tells this, it, the, the, the story is documented in Acts, and then Paul tells it two different times after Acts 19. And it's just this beautiful story of how God came in and just broke into Paul's life. He's on the road to Damascus, and he has this vision of God of Jesus. And Jesus basically says this voice comes from heaven and says, Saul, Saul, which was his name at the time, why are you persecuting me? And he has this incredible encounter with God. And then... 26 years later, Paul has been one of the chief apostles for the encouragement and the building up of the church. Like, isn't that amazing to you? So, he's, so that, that's the first line. Paul, an apostle of, of, of Christ Jesus, not by his own will, but by the will of God. Then he says this. So just log that in your mind, Paul's journey. To God's holy people, the next line, it says, in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. We just talked about who these people were and what they were coming from. And this is only six years later, six to 10 years later. And now Paul is calling them God's holy people to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Like that's incredible, y'all, that just in six to 10 years, this is what Paul is calling them. And it's not because they've performed this. It's because this is who God sees them to be. Did you hear that? The church in Ephesus wasn't getting everything right. They weren't perfect since Paul had planted it, that this is who God sees you to be, that he sees you as God's holy people, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And he's beginning opening this letter with identity. Here's who you are. This is who you are. Does that make sense? Okay, and so this is when we look at the Ephesian church, we don't see something like this far off distant church that we can't understand. I imagine Paul's letter to Dallas would be very much the same. He would say to the church in Dallas, God's holy people, to the faithful in Christ Jesus, that you are called faithful. You are called God's holy people if you believe in Jesus. Do you know that church? And then the very next line, this is our first point grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And then he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the opening lines of Ephesians. I don't think this is simply a greeting, right? I mean, Paul could have chosen anything, And where is Paul right now? He's huddled in a dark, damp cell, writing this letter to the churches. Paul's not playing around with the greetings. He's not like, hey guys, what's up? You know, it's not just like this throwaway greeting. Like Paul is coming in, he's saying, this is who I am. And I know it because I've experienced the grace of God. This is who I was. It's not by by my will, but by God's will. And then who am I speaking to? I'm speaking to God's chosen, God's holy people to the faithful in Christ Jesus. And then he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father, our Father, he says. Do you know that God's, God's baseline disposition toward you is grace and peace? That you have received grace and peace. Grace comes and it disrupts and destroys cycles of sin in our life and then it brings peace so that we can enjoy and it, can, and, it, and it begins a new cycle of grace and then peace and then thanking God for his grace and his peace and his peace and his grace. And it goes in this beautiful circle where his sin, what happens with sin? We mess up and we fail and we feel shame and separation from God. And then we go back and because of the separation from God, we sin further and we feel isolated from God and the cycles of sin and shame repeat. And grace is meant to come in and stop the cycles of sin and shame. Do you hear this, church? You know this, right? And that's what I'm saying. Like, this is what Paul's doing. He's saying to the faithful ones in Christ Jesus, to God's holy people, set apart grace and peace to you. Remember grace and peace that's given for you in Christ Jesus. And if we think of Paul's story again, what did God do? He came in and he takes this, this, uh, this man who's just an enemy of God and he takes him and turns him into an apostle of God. Like the person that you think is farthest from the Lord, that's what, Paul, that's what God comes in and grace and peace come in and transform that life and now God uses it to reach the nations. To literally, we're talking about his words today. How incredible is that? that that's what God has for you in his grace and in his peace. And I think about nowadays, there's something about grace and peace that's almost the exact opposite of our current culture. I mean, that ore that Joe just showed is filled with things that produce anxiety, with our fears, our anxieties, all those things. And we filled that ore with them and we're dropping that ore, releasing it. Why? How can we possibly do that? It's because of the grace and peace that we've received from our Father God through Jesus Christ. Grace and peace is God's initial, uh, uh, his, his, his baseline attitude toward you is grace and peace. He loves you, church. And I think for me, one of, the, one of the times in my life where I experienced this was I was all caught up in a relationship in college that had me so distracted, so confused about my walk with the Lord, so caught up in the idolatry of valuing this relationship. I was engaged to someone that's not my current wife. We were, it was just so difficult. My, my, my heart and my head were just jammed up with thoughts and concerns and worries and fears about my future. And I remember the Lord basically wrenched this relationship from my hands. Really, he did, straight up. <laughs> like I would have held on for dear life, and I did. And he wrenched it through, from my hands through a series of, of events that I don't have time to go into. But I remember one night, I'm laying on my bed, in my, or not my bed, it was my brother's futon. I was staying with him. I'm laying, where, where God encounters us, right, in the strangest of play. I'm laying on my brother's futon, and I just remember the grace of God coming in, and for all the things that I felt condemnation for in my life, it just immediately felt like they're gone, Donnie. Like I've given you grace, I love you. And I received this grace and what came over me in the moment was just the most deep peace I've ever felt in my entire life. And what came with that after that was just this tranquil, like clear thought about everything that just happened over the last three years of my life because I felt so gunked up about it. I didn't know how to process it. And from grace... I received grace, which brought peace, which brought just so much clarity in my heart that I felt like I got a download of relational wisdom about how to even do relationships that I, I took that into my current marriage. Things that I learned, almost it felt like in that moment about the heart of God and about what true love is and about what it means to, to be in a relationship and follow Jesus, all these things. And God did it through grace and through peace. Amen, church? Okay, All right, that's just the greeting of the letter. That's just the beginning. That's just the, hey, how are you doing? But with so much more depth than just the, hey, how are you doing? Paul isn't doing this. So what we have coming up and what Paul begins to go into and what we're gonna be in over the next few weeks is what some commentators call the praise cry or the cry of praise. So Paul, remember, picture this. Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians, he's in prison, he's chained to a Roman guard. And this is not a modern day prison with air conditioning and a pillow and some TV and things like that. This is a damp, dark, hole in the ground cell. Joe showed us a picture of it last week uh, in Rome, the, the, the spot that they think was, was the likely place that Paul was held. And he's sitting down and he begins to write because he's so filled with just uh, uh, this, this desire to do this. He, he begins writing a chapter of a reformed theology systematic textbook, right? Is that what, no. Like this, what Paul's writing here is not a textbook. This is a letter to his friends to the people that he invested in, not just six, ten years earlier. And now Paul's in this prison. He doesn't know if he's gonna get out alive. He's made an appeal to Caesar. So he's waiting to be brought before Caesar. And in this moment, he's like, I may not ever see them again. What do they need to know? Like, what do they need to hear from the father heart of God to reset their identity? What do they need to know about God and who he is and how he feels about them? How do I need to begin this letter? And just what, erupts out of Paul in that moment is just praise for God and who he is he just begins to praise God and he said and so verses 3 to 14 is one we're not even going to read uh, all those we're going just to verse 6 verses 3 to 14 is a 202 word sentence in the Greek ever made a run-on sentence Paul's got you beat like he loves to do run-on sentences But this one, it's the longest sentence in all of scripture. It just goes on and on and on without punctuation because Paul, one commentator said, this is theology set to music, that Paul's just praising God for who he is. This isn't dry, uh, stale theology. And that's not a shot across the bow for theology. I love theology. I'm so thankful for it. But what, but what this is not, this is not something to be picked apart and go, okay, how can I do this? And God, what are you doing here? And how, how can I, in my human mind, figure it out? This is an encouragement to the saints that this is your identity. This is what God says about you. And we're about to get into that. So um, the second point today so, first point was that God has revealed his heart for us through his grace and truth for us, or sorry, grace and peace for us. And the second point is God has revealed his heart for us through, uh, in the fact that God the Father has blessed you, that God has blessed you. So verse three, as he begins this, pray, this cry of praise in, in this letter while he's in prison, he says this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Did you know that that's yours today? Every spiritual blessing, Everyone. one. What does that even mean? It's kind of like, it begins to blow your mind a little bit to think that you have been blessed by God the Father with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That every single possible thing that you could have as a son or a daughter in God's family is yours, church. Like this is how God feels for you and he's blessed you in this. So it says this, what does it mean? He says, in the heavenly places, or he says, um, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So heavenly places, uh, Sam Storm says this in a commentary. He says, heavenly places is a reference to the unseen world of spiritual reality. It is the unseen spiritual realm in which we enjoy God's presence, commune with Jesus and wage war with the enemy. So in this place, in the spiritual realm, the place where you feel attacked from, the place where you feel uh, the enemy coming and trying to steal, kill, and destroy your identity and who you are in Jesus, that God has given you every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. That's amazing, church, that you have been given this, that you've been blessed by God. It's so incredible. It says in Ephesians six twelve. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's that word again, in the spiritual realm. Every spiritual blessing. So what does that mean? What does every spiritual blessing mean? It means that you've been given authority over your sin. It means that you've been given authority over sin to walk free from it through what Jesus Christ has done. It means that Jesus has called you a son so that the power of God now resides in you. And I, we could go on and on with every spiritual blessing and what it means, but the fact remains that you have been given the power of the Holy Spirit. And so now as a son of God, you are literally a co-heir with Christ Jesus. Did you know that church, that you're a co-heir with Christ Jesus, that God loves you and he sees you and he calls you his son that this is, this is the, the when God sees you, he calls you blessed. He has not cursed you. For so many of us, I, I remember looking back in my own life and the, the primary thing I was dealing with was the curse from my father. Was looking back and going, man, did he want me? Did he desire me? Was I loved? Why did he leave? And he left for the most awful reasons. He wanted success. He didn't, his success for him didn't mean a family. It didn't mean a son. It meant money. It meant the fame. It meant power. It meant the things that he could seek. And so for me, that was a wound and I was taking that to God and I needed the Lord Jesus to come in to meet me there in that place. So it says this in Romans eight seventeen. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we also may share in his glory." One of the primary, I heard this from John Tyson, so I'm gonna steal it, because it's really good. One of the primary claims of the gospel is that you, follower of Jesus, you don't live for the blessing of God, you live from the blessing of God. From, not for. So do you be righteous and do righteous things in order to get God's love? No you live from, you are loved, you are called righteous, you are blessed, you are brought near in God and therefore righteousness is an outflow of it. You do not earn the grace of God. You don't, do, you don't be righteous and do good things in order to get the grace of God. You've been given the grace of God and therefore you live out of that place. Does that make sense? From, not for. We, we live from God's blessing, that we are in a place that he speaks. So the, the word blessing means to speak well of. Isn't that amazing that God looks at you and he speaks well of you today because of what he's done in Jesus. And it's so hard to get this in our minds because we live in a culture that's so performance and anxiety driven. I was reading a stat, something like among young adults, I think it's 35% suffer with something that's like this debilitating uh, anxiety that makes it feel like they can't even do normal things at work, that there's a whole kind of therapy culture that's grown up, and I'm not knocking therapy. Therapy's awesome. I've been to therapy myself. It's great. But God's heart for us in this is that we would walk free from anxiety, that we would walk free from these things, and that we would be able to walk under his sonship, under his blessing. The blessing of God is for you today. Um. And I think the thing that's funny to me is that I'm always. This is the one area of blessing that I'm always trying to convince my children of, that I'm for them and not against them. So, like, almost every weekend we'll have ice cream or do some sort of dessert, and every single weekend the same conversation happens. Which I, I go to give my children ice cream, and they have some, and then they're. All, and I try to be generous with my portions. My wife uh, calls it an Italian portion because I'm Italian, I grew up with an Italian family, and so it's an extra, it's, it's way too much most of the time for a child, and so I'll give my child this Italian portion, which is slightly offensive to Italians, but that's okay, I'm Italian, it's fine. So we would, I would give them this big portion, and almost every time they get done eating it, and they, they say, Daddy, can I have more? I go, oh guys, you're going to be sick to your stomach if I give you more. So no. And inevitably they're like, oh, but daddy, please just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And I've given in before. And what's the, the very next cry after that is my tummy hurts, daddy. My tummy hurts. And they feel sick. So my children are constantly feeling like when I put boundaries around them, that I'm not for them. Or Alder the other day, I was like, buddy, it's time to take a nap. And he just, falls, he collapses on the floor. And he's like, no, I don't need, it's like, I think you've proven my point <laughs> by the way you're ask, acting right now. And it's constantly, my heart for them is, I want blessing. I want them to be rested and clear of mind. I want them to thrive. But so often our feeling, when we feel limited or when we feel cared for, cared for by God, we don't experience it with care sometimes. Sometimes we experience it as, God, you're trying to hold something back from me. You're trying to keep something from me that's really good, but you're hoarding it all to yourself. Like that's the sin of of the garden. That's the assumption and the belief that we began with in Genesis is that man, this apple, oh, it's a delight to the eyes. It looks good for food. It's gonna be so delicious. And then Satan comes in and says, did God really say that you're not supposed to eat of it? Man, when you do, you're gonna be wise. It's good for food, it's so delicious. And that's the lie of the enemy that comes in and separates us from God. But you, God's holy people, to the faithful in Antioch, Dallas, that's who you are, grace and peace to you. If you felt that this week and you've given into it, grace and peace to you. Did you know that you don't earn your standing of grace and peace? Like it's a gift. This is such a key issue, and I know you guys know it, but in in the moment when you feel the pressure to give in, and when you do give in and you fail, there is grace and peace for you when you repent and turn to God. That's what we're talking about. When we talk about union with the Father, I wanna be so unified that when I sin, I immediately turn to him, I go, God, please forgive me. Would you help me? I know you do forgive me. Thank you, Father. And I'm back in unity with him that fast. When my children sin, the last thing I want is for them to run from me. I quizzed Addie the other day. I said, Addie, let's say I tried to be funny with that. I said, let's say you punched Jake in the face at school. Jake is one of her classmates. And she started giggling and laughing because she would never do that. But she was like, ha, 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 ha. punch Jake, ha, ha. And, and Because we've had some problems with Jake, but that's okay. So I said, what if you punched Jake in the face? What, what would you want me to do? Or I was like, what would daddy want you to do when you got home? And she goes, um, say, sorry. I said, well, that's when you do it to Jake, when you punch him. And you're not gonna do this, but if you did, you would, you would, I would want you to apologize, right? And she goes, yeah. And I said, well, what would I want you to do as soon as you got home? She goes, tell you about it. And I said, why? Why do I wanna know? She said, um, she goes, so that we can go through, walk through discipline? I said, yes. I said, why do we have discipline? Why do we talk about discipline? And why does daddy talk through that with you? She goes, because, uh, and we literally, I say this to her every time we walk through discipline. I end it with, I want you to know I love you so much. And the reason we have discipline is because I love you so much. And my, even my child is that forgetful. And I would venture to say everyone in the room is that forgetful as well when God comes to us with loving correction or with gentle correction even, or with any sort of love toward us, sometimes we feel it as, man, you, and so I I, I reminded her, I said, do you remember? I, I, what do I say every single time? And it took her a while. And she goes, because you love us. I said, that's right, because I want right. Thank you, Joe, for your, uh uh-oh. There we go. All right. Where was I? God the, whoa, God the Father has chosen you. He's not rejected you. So verse four says this, and then I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to make this part short, honestly, because it's not even the most important. Uh, It but it is the most important because it undergirds everything else. So Uh, Ephesians 1, 4 says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will and to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So we could sit here, we could go into an explanation of the doctrine of of election and what that means and all this different stuff. What My heart for you today is this. Do we see clear evidence of the doctrine of election in Scripture? Yes, we do. Do we see clear evidence of the outworking of free will and people's choice involved in that? Absolutely, yes, we do. That's why the argument's been going on for millennia now as to which one it is, and I believe, and I want to lean into, along with the mystics of the church tradition, is that there is mystery in our relationship with God, correct? Can I understand all things in my infinite 36 years of wisdom? I mean, seriously. Sometimes the things that we think we can wrap our heads around, it just shock me, And there's a certain point in my walk with the Lord that I need to get on my knees and thank God because the reality is this, he chose me. When I get to heaven, I will not stand there and be like, hey, everybody, what's up? Like, I'm so clever, I'm so smart. Do you remember when I saw God and I recognized him as good and holy and I came to him? Man, I'm so great. When I get to heaven, I'm gonna be on my knees. I'm gonna be saying, God, thank you. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for that when I rebelled against you and ran from you, you pursued me. Thank you that you changed my life, that you came in and ripped that relationship out of my hands and loved me enough to see me through it. Thank you that you were there every single day, even when I wasn't faithful with a quiet time or when I was exhausted, you were faithful there to encourage my heart and to help me in my fatherhood. Every thing I have, I'm going to look to God and say, thank you, Jesus. But are those there moments where I look back and God seemed beautiful to me and I went towards him? Yes. So which one is it, Donnie? Yes. It's both. God, thank you. Like, thank you that you have a plan. Thank you that you didn't abandon me. Like it says before creation, he chose you. Like, have you ever been rejected? whether it's like college admissions board or from a relationship. I know I was. I went on a blind date in high school and she told me I was too quiet uh, because I was. I was extremely shy and I carried that with me for years. Like that I was like too quiet and it's so stupid. <laughs> I don't remember when we were walking. Sorry, I said stupid at the room, kids. So <laughs> it kids. So it was so not good. Sorry, children, erase last fight. I wish I had those men in black thing. Just go, psh, zap the crowd. So there's like, but seriously though, in that, it's like, it's so ridiculous. But it marked me and it affected me. And God says, you are not rejected. If you have ever felt rejection in any part of your life, God comes in and he says, I've chosen you. That you're my son, you're my daughter, I love you. There's a, um, there's a quote by an author, Uh, it says this, is Russell Moore talking about this issue. He says, God is not some metaphysical airport security screener (laughs) waving through the secretly pre-approved and sending the rest into a holding tank for questioning. God is not treating us like puppets made of meat, forcing us along by his capricious whim. Instead, the doctrine of election tells us that all of us who have come to know Christ are here on purpose that there is a reason that you have been chosen, that God loves you, that there is a purpose for him having you here, that you're not an accident, that God chose you and he loved you before the foundation of the world. That is the point. And remember, that's what Paul is writing to his friends. He's saying, remember that you're chosen. Remember that God loves you. Remember that God has, has a purpose for your life, has meaning for your life, that you are not an orphan. And it says this John in 1 John 3, 1a, To see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. These days with my kids, I don't experience much lavishing in general uh, for anything really. And so, lavish, what does that mean? in, In college, I went to Texas de Brazil. Have you ever been there, anyone? I didn't know what it was when I first went. And so I, I enjoy meat. I enjoy all sorts of meat. And I got to Texas Day, Brazil, and there's just waiters walking around with a smile, like walking by with trays of meat. And I felt like I was on, I don't know, a game show or something. I was just like, yeah, I'll take one of those. Come on down. And like everyone was coming up with these trays of meat, and just as much as you want, they would just lavish beef upon you. And I was so thankful. I loved it. And my best friend threw up in the bushes afterwards. This was college, not recently. And, and that was my memory of Texas State Brazil. Now, I'm not recommending that experience, but what am I saying? God lavishes us with his love. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. You are God's child. He loves you and he cares about you. So ultimately, God has revealed his heart to us in scripture explicitly here in Ephesians that he has grace and peace for us, that he's blessed us and that he's chosen us. That is how the Father God does your salvation and has begun your salvation. That's how he loves you, is he gives you grace and peace. He's blessed you and he's chosen you. That's your standing. And next week, we're gonna talk about Jesus and what he's done for us. But what I think of in my mind for all of us here is I think of the prodigal son. If we got have the band come up, I think of the prodigal son and the story there. Like, can you get in your mind that when God sees you, he treats you like the prodigal son. And I want, I want to remind you of what happened. So the prodigal son went and squandered, he got his inheritance early from his father and he squandered all of his wealth in rampant living and doing all sorts of things. And then he realized when he was broke and lonely and alone that, man, I could go back and I could just be a servant in my father's house and that would be better than what I'm doing now. He was feeding pigs and longing to eat the pig's food. He was so hungry. And he goes home and he prepares this speech in his head to go back to his father and to kind of repent and say, I'm just going to be a servant in your house. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And and as he's walking back, it says this, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Like he had this great speech prepared and he ignores it. (laughs) He doesn't even address it. He says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He has lost He was lost and is now found, and they began to celebrate. Can you get in your mind that that is the father's disposition toward you to receive you today? So whether you had a good father, or whether you had the worst father, or whether you had no father, or whether you had the greatest father, I want you today, my heart for you is that you would search your heart and whatever, when you think of God the Father, what is it that comes up in your heart? And just ask, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? What do you want to say to me in this hour? Because I think for for us, when we begin to get this right, everything else begins to fall in place within our hearts and within our life with God. If we can get this part right, then we can have union with God and we, we can begin to even approach to having union with one another. Does that make sense? Because when we have union with God, he heals us up so that we can be a blessing to one another. And this is, the, this is a starting point, church. It's when you see God, when you think of God, do you think of him as that father, as the, pro, as the prodigal son father that receives you home and puts a ring on your finger and loves you and cherishes you and delights in you today. Let's pray as we close and as we worship. Jesus, thank you so much. For your heart towards us today. God, we just ask that you would bless us, God. We ask that you would bless us with your presence as, we, as you always do and are faithful to do, Lord. So we just receive you, God, and as we uh, receive even your presence, Lord, we just say thank you, God, for speaking to us, and thank you, Lord, for calling out the things in our hearts that are not of you. Lord, anytime there's anything in me that's that's not of you, this wayward, God, I want to submit myself to you. And I want to just say, I trust you, Jesus. Will you bring life and peace through me? God, would you help life and grace and peace to flow through my heart, Lord? Would I experience that grace and peace today? And then would I experience your blessing, God? And that would I experience after that, Lord, that the, the adoption to sonship by which we cry Abba, Father, that we would know we are your Delight we, we, that you delight in us, God, that we are your son or your daughter. Today, we love you, Jesus. And if I could have the uh, any of our staff or overseers or prayer prophetic team to come forward to pray, or we just say thank you, Jesus. Would you move in our hearts and convict us even now? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.